Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video school. You are listening to The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. I am co-host J.P. Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer, Macho Man Randy Savage, The Genius Leaping Lanny Poffo. Hello, wrestling fans. Welcome to the third edition of Genius Cast. My name is Lanny Poffo, and you are? I'm JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. And how's life been since we've last caught up? Fantastic. I'll tell you what, life is beautiful in Clearwater, Florida, and they're building a new crunch fitness walking distance from where I live. And uh, what a bonus. It's going to be fabulous. And Oh, I'm all excited. Uh, I'm excited about this podcast. Uh, You know, we've got some fantastic fans. I know that's a play on words. But Elvie Malatesta is our biggest fan. Yeah, she's been talking with me this week. She's such a lovely woman. Now, you met her when you were over at Dr. Urban's, where where you guys got together and have a bit of a meet. He's the one who supplied the jacket to Jay Lethal. Yes, what happened was um, he lives in Massachusetts. He flew down. Um, I met his mother and father, and um, and then we had a big feast where I broke every rule in my diet, but that's what you do when you're, you know, you don't want to offend anybody. You didn't have any uh, cod tongue or anything like this, did you? Well, let me tell you what, everything was to die for. Everything was great. And I said, well, I'm going to start tomorrow back on my diet <laughs> because today we wine and dine with kings and queens in the words of Dusty Rhodes. So... Um, Anyway, she came over and we had fun. And then Dr. Marty Urban gave me the jacket that Jay Lethal wore, you know, in Chicago for All In. Mm -hmm. So isn't that something? Yeah, it was. And you can hear all about All In and StarCast and what your experience was like on our last episode. It's a great listen. We've been getting a lot of great feedback from that show. That's right. And um, I once again, I must be appreciative to the people at Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling for allowing me to walk Jay Lethal down the aisle. And uh, it sure was a lot of fun for me. You know, uh, even though the animal was there from the Legion of Doom Mm -hmm. and uh, Diamond Dallas Page, I was the oldest person that actually went to the ring. And, uh, you know, they are my juniors, and I am their senior. So I just, um, I feel grateful that... uh, you know, they let me do it. And what a memorable experience that was for the fans to watch. And as many said, it was their favorite part of the show. So thank you for creating uh, a wonderful moment for us, the fans. And of, of course, thank you to Ring of Honor and New Japan for allowing this to happen. Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks particularly. And, you know, uh, Flip Gordon, you know, obviously he's been influenced by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And, uh, and you know that... Jay Lethal's been influenced by the Macho Man. I thought they did it proud. I thought that was, a, I mean, what an exciting show. Um, and then, you know, but that's not to take away from the other matches, which were everybody, everybody tried so hard to entertain the fans, and the fans loved every moment of it. 
you know, two weeks out, it's still something that the fans and people involved are buzzing about. And man, I can't wait for an all in two if this does happen at some point down the line. Well, if it happens, I'd, I would love to be a part of it. Absolutely. We'd love to see you be a part of it. Now, one of the, the best parts of last week's episode was uh, you were talking about how you had the best seat in the house on the outside of the ring, and you were concerned about actually being in the way of the fans' views, and you were asking the fans while you were you know, ringside, I hope I'm not in the way. And they're like, no, no, you're okay. I, I, I thought that was very sweet to hear. Right. Well, they paid big money. I think those uh, ringside tickets were over $300. Yeah, not cheap. And uh, yeah, so uh, you don't need my seven and three quarter head in the way. <laughs> That's right. Now, now, last week, you also gave high praise for the very best of today, Kenny Omega. This week, let's do the opposite. Let's pick out a name that's lost to history, somebody who you've worked with perhaps in the old ICW territory who we barely hear about anymore, like the Pistol Pez Watleys of the world. Who would you want to you know, talk about this week, somebody who's lost to history? Um, my very dear friend, George Weingroff, who is my tag team partner, and I just spoke with him on the phone yesterday. And, you know, we talk about everything. And I would like to say in a world where, you know, I hate to say it, but everybody's dead or dead broke. Um, George Weingroff is very, very successful. He has, um, he's in the business of where people put money into a machine and get snacks. Right. You know what that is? Yeah, the vending machines. Mm -hmm. He has vending machines. That was the clue. I, you're right on the ball. I, I I wanted you to know. No, I, I forgot the name of it myself. Okay. I was just kidding. (laughs) I'm here to help. Okay. Okay, But yes, he has a vending business and he has, uh, and all he does is, um, stock up his machines with snack food and then he drives around to pick up the money and um he handles everybody in a polite and professional manner and i think he's doing fantastic for himself as a entrepreneur a successful story after leaving the wrestling business so why is he a name that you want people to know about because he was my tag team partner and uh you know we were the United States Tag Team Champions representing the ICW, and uh, he was visually impaired, but he was a great wrestler at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. That's college wrestling. Yes. And a um, great athlete, and uh, he's looking good, and I'm very, very happy and proud of him. Now, how visually impaired was he? I mean, to be out there in the ring and be performing you know, in front of a crowd in these high-risk maneuvers, how did he get around that? Uh, the only thing I'm sure about is his optic nerves were supposed to be red and instead they're pink. Okay. Uh, and, and smaller. Um, but he sees, I'll tell you what, if you were around him, you wouldn't know that he was visually impaired. He's only legally blind and um, he still drives, he does everything. He's one of those overachievers that doesn't let anything stop him from having the greatest life he can have. And uh, he is, just like me, a very proud grandfather. That's fantastic to hear. Now, before we get into things, I just wanted to give a plug for our friend Evans, The Evan Ginsberg Show, where he has the greatest names in film, TV, comedy, music, pro wrestling, MMA, and so much more. And that can be found on villageconnectionradio.com. And speaking of the greatest, you've been a guest on his show, and you'll be contributing to their two-hour Nikolai Volkov tribute show, which is going to be airing on September the 23rd. Wow, thanks for reminding me. I'm going to uh, have to make a video for him. That's right. We'll do that after the show. Yeah, Nikolai was uh, 
one of the greatest people I ever met. And uh, he's such a gentle soul, but if you messed with him, he he beat the hell out of you. You know, I'm telling you because he was a legitimate athlete. You know, one of the best quotes I've heard about Nikolai uh, since his death, and I believe Evan shared this with me, was he would ask people, are you married or are you happy? And that would always make me laugh to hear that. I've, I've actually shared that joke a couple times since then. Well, a man isn't complete until he's married and then he's finished. <laughs> now, um, many people don't know this, that the Macho Man name came from Randy's time in baseball. It was a nickname bestowed upon him by fans of his baseball team after Randy was involved with a few scuffles. Now, in fact, the fans would used to put up signs that would say, hit the ball here, Macho Man, which is quite incredible. Take us back. Let's hear what it was like growing up a Poffo in Downers Grove, Illinois. We went to Downers Grove um, in the, when I was in the second grade and Randy was in the fourth grade. We both attended Pierce Downer Elementary School. And um, naturally, we lived right next to American Legion baseball field. And we were there almost every day when the weather permitted. And then my father got the urge to uh, build a winterized batting um, cage where we had an automatic pitching, um, you know, one of those automatic pitchers. Right. Um, because you can't really get a lot of people in the winter time to throw your batting practice. Not in the Chicago winters anyway. No, no. It's, I'll tell you what, I don't miss that a moment. <laughs> Although when I was in Chicago just now, Hoffman Estates, um, the weather was actually 72 degrees and slightly overcast. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, they're getting their early autumn. So um, I was pretty happy because it's pretty hot here. Right, in clear we have, we have the eternal summer. So anyway, we we played baseball, football, basketball, you know, and Randy was always great at all sports. And I always got a participation trophy. So... <laughs> So I was, uh, I did gymnastics and wrestling and baseball. I did everything. We were quite a family, and uh, basically, I I also enjoyed lifting weights. And uh, I just got back from the gym. Um, Still keeping fit at sixty three. Well, I don't think I'm the world record for Jack LaLanne fitness, but I'm doing pretty good. Try to keep my boobs from you know hanging below my belt. Now, your, your father, Angelo, was the type of dad who would do anything to support one of his children when they expressed new interest in something. In our first episode, you were talking about how you had interest in the violin. And so your father immediately bought you an imitation Stradivarius. And then later, when you mentioned photography, he purchased a high-end Nikon camera with multiple lenses and other accessories and so on. So your father was always supporting uh, you and Randy and all the endeavors and all your hobbies and anything you were interested in. That's true, and that's why it really angers me when I hear people say how frugal he was. They don't understand. See, there are people who stay at the Acme Ritz Central Arms Waldorf Plaza and uh, use $100 bills for toilet paper, and then they can't pay their child support. Yeah. So think about that a moment and stop the, you know, don't, do not persecute um, others for righteousness when the fact is, um, you'll never be the man Angelo Poffo was. And he put the money where it mattered, into his family. That's right. You know, and having grown up in the Depression, he knew what it was like to live in, um, you know, making do with less. 
And he made sure that Randy and I never had that. Now, we all know that, or, or many of the fans know, that Randy had a couple years in the minor league baseball system. How were you at baseball? What Did you play in high school? Did you play in college? How far did you get? I never went to high I never went to college and I didn't want to graduate high school. That was a big argument I had with my parents. Um, and looking back on it, I would like to say I'm sorry I graduated high school because they teach you absolutely nothing. For all the teachers out there that are listening, turn your ears off to that one. What do they, what do they, no, what do they teach you? They teach you nothing. Uh, do they ever show you a textbook, The Richest Man in Babylon? No, they don't. Do they ever give you a book by Joel Furman about eat and live? How to uh, eating to live? No, they don't. Um, in other words, um, if you want to train a dog, what's the first rule? You have to know more than the dog. If you want to be health, wealth, and freedom, um, you're not going to learn it from a teacher. All they know is pleasure, power, and possession, and that's why the world is in the state it's in. So if you want to come to the genius, um, I'll teach you health, wealth, and freedom. Listen to our show where you're going to get an education better than what you'll get in schools. Um, on the other hand, I dedicated my first book to my fifth grade teacher, um, Pat, Pat Rufinock Mokel, and we are still friends today. Now, she was a different kind of a teacher. She looked at the children, not at the clock. Think about it. You know, unfortunately, even through my experiences, I find a lot of the teachers are in there for the wrong reasons. We should be there first and foremost for the kids. Yes, you have a curriculum you need to teach, but it's bestowing upon them life's lessons that, you know, unfortunately, they're not getting at home in every household. So, you know, teachers play a huge role in, you know, shaping the future. And it's a shame you never had a good positive experience through high school and that you wanted to leave. But hey, you turned out just fine. And look, you became the genius. Well, you know, the thing is, when you don't have 20 inch pythons, you have to point to your head. And <laughs> um, I also would like to say something very, very important to you and to the fans. Bobby Heenan could have taken exception to me becoming the genius because he was the brain and I was the genius. And if he wanted to, he could have stopped me. He had the power. Instead, he didn't find me threatening and he was happy for me that I was finally getting a break and he let it go. And let's take our hats off for Bobby Heenan, who was the brain long before I was the genius. And if he wanted to, he could have stopped that gimmick from ever happening. And, uh, you know, he's not here anymore, but he is loved by the wrestling fans and he is considered by many to be the greatest manager ever. And in my opinion, um, the greatest um, announcer, you know, like um, him and Jesse Ventura, it's a toss up who could uh, take that role. What do you think? Oh, well, Bobby Heenan, for me, he's the greatest manager there ever was in wrestling. Commentating, my God, has he provided so many hilarious sound bites over the years. Um, now, Jesse Ventura, I'm a bit surprised by that one. Uh, of course, he was great in the 80s when he was commentating and so on. Why, why do you put him on that list of the greatest? Because people still remember him and uh, imitate him. Back to you, McMahon. And uh, I just thought he was fantastic. Um, you know, he had his own deal. I don't think you can go wrong with either fella. Going back to growing up in the Poffle 
household. Your father was a wrestler. He had uh, 42 years in the wrestling business. What was it like growing up with your dad wrestling? Now, did he um, let you guys in on the secrets of the business? Was it a kayfabe, you know, only type situation with you guys? What was it like having your dad be part of this as you were growing up? Well, by the time, um, by the time I was in the second grade and my brother was in the fourth grade, my father had decided to just um, be a school teacher. He wanted to reach out to the inner city. Um, he wanted to do something with his life as far as giving back. He, had, he was tired of the road and wanted to have a good family life. So he taught at Mason Upper Grade Center, where he quickly fell in love with one of his uh, students who some people said he was too short, but my father felt that because he had a low center of gravity, he'd be impossible to tackle. And if you don't believe me, look it up. His name is Otis Armstrong, and he, he did very well with the Denver Broncos. And my father um, gave him, he, he, gave, he made an extra key to the weight room, and he gave it to him. How's that? He saw something in him for the right yes. reasons. And, uh, you know, a couple of times we went to Mason Upper Grade Center and we met him. And uh, he was about, I don't know, five foot eight, I'm guessing. But he had biceps like, like little shot puts, you know, and uh, woe to the people that tried to tackle him. Now, your, your father had a PE education at DePaul University. In fact, uh, you, you don't know this, but I actually went to DePaul. I graduated from DePaul. And he set a naval record in 1945 for doing 6,033 consecutive sit-ups. And that was, of course, recognized by Ripley's Believe It or Not. That must have been so impressive for you and your brother as a kid. Yes, you are understating it. It was the world record in world the record. Navy. Wow. Yes. And, uh, with the, and it was Navy-style sit-ups with the hands clasped behind his neck. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, I am going to recite a poem that I recited at my father's funeral. Twas back in 1945 on Independence Day, the Nazis had surrendered, Japan was on its way. My dad was in the Navy, as history will tell, as he was bleeding through the mats, a world record fell. He did 6,000 sit-ups with an extra 33 to glorify our Savior who died at Calvary. And Robert Ripley's feature celebrated this event. Giving credence to success is not an accident. That's always been his motto through times both good and bad. He's a real Hall of Famer and the world's greatest dad. What a fantastic tribute to your father. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing with us. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I get a little emotional when I think about it, but uh, he's a better man than I am. I'll tell you that. Um, if I can be half the man he is, that'll be something. Well, I can, I can vouch for the fact that I think you're quite a wonderful man. I think you guys obviously caught the bug from your father to get involved in athletics. Now, your, your dad was a catcher for DePaul University on the baseball team. And uh, like Randy... Angelo had dreams of being a base, having a baseball career, but in 1947, he was knocked unconscious by a high inside pitch. Um, and of course, try as he might, he couldn't overcome being plate shy. So before that incident, your father received pro offers and had signed to, um, to a North Carolina State League team at the next spring, but instead he ended up going to wrestling as a result of the injury. 
That's right. And, uh, you know, Carl Ingstrom uh, took pity on him and he was, <clears throat> they were friends and um, they went to school at, together and he got him started with the smokers, which is um, like for $8, you would do some amateur and some professional wrestling. And, you know, in those days, $8 was $8. And, and then little by little, things progressed. And the next thing you know, he's, uh, he meets Lou Talibur. And then they go to um, Columbus, Ohio, where Frankie Talibur was the booker. So every door opened another one. It was just, uh, it's a very good story. And then um, Gorgeous George came into the place. And my father was his designated driver, so George can get drunk every night. And, you know, they got to be friends. And it was Gorgeous George that um, convinced my father not to quit and to keep wrestling. And uh, next thing you know, a few years later, my dad becomes a main eventer. It's very reminiscent of Randy's story. Now, Randy had his four years of baseball, which we'll get into in a moment. Um, but then after an injury... You know, his playing was, you know, was affected. And then he went into wrestling and then, of course, became a main eventer from there. So it's interesting to see how, you know, there's, there's parallels between Randy and your father. Well, Randy injured his throwing arm at a, in a collision at home plate. Right. And, um, and then he actually learned to throw left-handed and try to sign as a first baseman. And he signed with the White Sox as a first baseman and made it in spring training for the first cut, second cut, third cut, and then they finally gave him his unconditional release. And uh, they said he threw like a girl. He, he said, hey, where's my justice? I've done the thing. He said, sorry, Randy, uh, you throw like a girl. We can't have you. And uh, that was when he was 22 years old. Ten years later, he makes his debut in Madison Square Garden. So I think baseball's loss is wrestling's gain. That's right. Now, he was hell of a hitter, and he was always out there, um, you know, very early on before the, you know, before the team would show up. He was throwing the ball thousands of times each day. Because of the fact he injured his shoulder, his right shoulder, he did turn to throwing with his left arm, and he wasn't a natural ambidextrous thrower, so this was something that he was training himself to do. So he certainly had the, the heart and, and the passion, and of course, and he put the time in. Uh, but he did have a bit of a scatter arm. And even Randy once said that his throws to second would kind of tail off to the outfield and sometimes to the right field and such. But that said, you know, he, had, he did have a powerful hitting arm and, he, you know, he would always have uh, some of the most home runs in, in the leagues he'd be playing in. That's right. He had a lot of power in his hands and wrists, okay? And he had a, if you ever shook hands with him, it's a little different than shaking hands with me. I can tell you that. He had the man hands. I've got poetry hands. <laughs> Soft hands then. Yes, and I even uh, exercise in gloves. I wear work gloves to exercise. That's smart, but better for the grip. And better for the manicure. Yep, I'm a gentleman. That's right. Now, Randy played through a lot for a lot of systems. Now, he was with the Chicago Orioles, which was a top amateur team comprised of local high school and college all-stars. And this was um, in 1970 when he was just coming out of high school and uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they hosted a free agent tryout at Bush Stadium. So Randy, he shook off the devastation of not being drafted. So Because when he got out of high school, 
the teams didn't draft him, and he was one of the best players out there, so it was devastating for him. But your dad drove 300 miles for Randy to participate in this, and out of the 200 players who attended, he was the only one, Randy, who received a contract offer. That's right, and he signed on the very same day as Keith Hernandez. Yes, five-time All-Star. Yeah, not a Hall of Famer, but he sh- he's, he has something better than the Hall of Fame. He was on Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that is quite the quite something to be proud of. Now, the Cardinals, this is what your brother said when he was 18 to the Downers Grove reporter. He said the Cardinals were really surprised I wasn't drafted. They felt I had unlimited potential, but it doesn't matter now. The door is open, and I've got my chance, and you can't bring your contract to spring training, only your bat. And he didn't make a bon- he, they didn't give him a bonus. So what happened was um, they were going to give him $500 a month. Now, even in 1971, that's not a lot of money. No. So what happens? Um, Randy is a card shark. He could have me naked in 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> he was a poker player. And he could play any, any game. He could beat you. And um, what he did was he played cards with the bonus babies and took their money every night. And um, he even lost on purpose a few times when he thought they were getting disinterested because it's no fun to lose. You got to hustle and, them a little bit, bring them back in. And uh, I always asked him, uh, you know, he never cheated, but as soon as he saw a few cards, he knew what you had somehow. I don't know how he did it. And um, I said, did you ever bluff? And he says, no, I never bluff. If you got him, you bet him. That's the rule. And he never deviated. He played conservatively until he had a good hand. Good for him. Now, he was obviously only making 500 He was playing with these players who were getting a couple thousand a month. And they were there drafted. And your, your brother was there and, and making the minimum. So, of course, he had to make do and find ways to, to survive. And, hope, you know, thank God he was a good card player and was able to take some money off of these guys. That's funny. Yeah, a fool and his money are soon parted. That's why you see so many wrestlers on a GoFundMe page. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and you seem to be doing just fine by learning the skills of frugality. The skills of living beneath your means. Right. And we will not be ridiculing that on this show. Not a chance. And I think one of the best things I've ever learned from my own family, my grandma always says, be frugal. Now, let's talk a bit about how your brother was out there. He would be... Every morning, and this was outside of the regular training exercises, he would have a hanging tire that he would swing to str- he would swing his bat up against it to strengthen his hands and make sure he was utilizing his legs during those swings. That technique was so effective that one of his uh, teammates, what uh, was it, uh, Herndon? Larry Herndon. Larry Herndon. Yeah. So now he became a manager, and he also played. He adopted that technique for his own teams when he became a manager. Well, you've done your homework, but the tire was not hanging. If it was hanging, then it would swing. The tire was fixed. It was uh, actually nailed to a tree stump. Okay. And, and um, so... Secured it in more. Yes, and it, it built up your hands and wrists, and uh, it, it helped you with your getting in that strong position of hitting. But... The thing that to remember about Randy, you know, these are great details, but it was his heart because he never talked about wrestling when he played baseball. But after he got unconditionally released from three 
minor league teams, and he decided that was it. He never talked about baseball anymore. He only talked about wrestling. He says, there's got to be a way I can get to the top in wrestling. And he dedicated every day from that day forward to getting to the top in wrestling. And um, let's just say, woe to the people who decided that Randy didn't deserve an opportunity to wrestle Shawn Michaels and have a better match than he had with Ricky Steamboat. If not, at least he deserved a chance to try. I'm not saying it could have been as great, because after all, he had lost a step from, you know, old age wins on everybody. You know, uh, it's old age is undefeated. Time is undefeated. But I must say again, woe to these people who decided that Randy didn't get a chance to lose to Shawn Michaels, pass the baton, and have the greatest match in the history of wrestling. And uh, how would you like it if Okada didn't get a chance to wrestle against Kenny Omega or um, Chris Jericho. You see what I mean? These are um, people that raise the bar of wrestling. And if you're not angry to hear it, you should be. Because all we want to do is pop the crowd. All we want to do is give the fans something they've never seen before. And it wasn't selfishness. He didn't want to win. Um, it wasn't like the Montreal Screwjob that was motivated by selfishness. This was motivated by I want to have the greatest show I can possibly give, and that's the way I want to exit the business, and they didn't let him do it. It's a shame, and I think, obviously, a lot could be learned from that. Obviously, the fans didn't get an amazing feud, an amazing match out of it. Now, of course, you think about what WWE does now is, you know, they keep shoving, uh, you know, these legends in our face. They keep coming back for the big shows, and, you know, you don't really see them passing the torch You've got Triple H versus Undertaker happening in Melbourne soon. And, you know, rather than use these guys to put over current and new talent, you got these behemoths, you know, from the past going at it. Not to knock them, but, you know, I think that could, they could rather use that. It would be good to see someone like a Rusev, who had a casket match against Undertaker back in uh, Saudi Arabia, put Rusev over, you know, you have somebody who's on weekly, who's on our TV, busting their asses, losing to guys who come out once or twice, who've got bad hips, can't move around too well, and, you know, what good is that doing? Well, I believe in variety. I believe that when you go to the circus, or we used to go to the circus, you want to see a little bit of this and a little bit of that. you got to see some young people, got to see some old people, and... I always felt some of the wrestlers didn't know when to quit. My brother wanted to quit on top. And he wanted his final match to be his best match. And I don't think there was a thing wrong with that. And uh, he was going to pass that baton. Andre the Giant was immobile when he wrestled Hulk Hogan. But he passed his baton. And, you know, that was, that was excellent. Um, and then, unfortunately, Andre kept wrestling afterwards, which was getting more and more pathetic. Yeah, it, was far, but, it wasn't easy to watch on TV. Randy was getting older and his hair was getting thinner, but he hadn't reached the the stage of pathetic yet. Now, before we get into talking more about the wrestling side of things, let's let's finish this baseball talk about talking about his stats. Now, Randy, 
He was an all-star catcher his first year in 1971. He batted 286, which was the tops amongst all the regulars, with a team-high two home runs, and these ballparks were huge at the time. He had a 492 slugging percentage with no errors and 15 games behind the plate. In his second professional season, this was in Sarasota too, he batted 274 in 52 games with a team-high three home runs and another selection to the all-star team, that was as a switch-hitting outfielder. So he moved from catcher to outfielder. And um, as the year went on, in 1973, with Sarasota for a third season, he struggled early on, but then he, uh, you know, he was looking like he was going to lose his roster spot. His bat came alive, and he raised his batting average to 344 through 25 games. He had a surge at the plate, caught the attention of the Cardinals organization, and they promoted him to Class A, which was in Orangeburg, of the Western Carolinas League. And he played for manager uh, Jimmy Pearsall, who was an eccentric former major leaguer. Um, he used to run; he ran the bases backwards after hitting his hundredth career home run. Uh, home run, but um, that was an independent team, and it had a lot of players from the Cardinals organization, and. Um, you know, he had people who, uh, you know, were all-star players saying that he was a, Randy was an aggressive player. He was well-liked on the team. He always boosted the morale because he had a lot of aggressiveness. He had a great personality. Um, he, of course, though, Randy just had a problem hitting the curve. But his intensity was real. And in the locker room, he would even wrestle with the guys. He even set up rings in, in, in the dressing room. Did you hear about this? I heard about it. I didn't witness it, but I heard about it. And um, here's a little something. Uh, if you ever see the movie Fear Strikes Out, Anthony Perkins mm -hmm. plays Jimmy Pearsall. <laughs> Alexa, our third member of the show. Here's something interesting about Jimmy Pearsall. Um, actually... My mom and dad took me there. We watched him in Orangeburg, South Carolina. We were there a few days to, you know, watch him play and call that a summer vacation. And Jimmy Pearsall actually came out with us. And, you know, we had dinner together. He was an excellent fella. Um, if you ever read the book, Fear Strikes Out, and then they made a movie about it, Jim Backus played Jimmy Pearsall's overbearing father. And uh, Anthony Perkins played Jimmy Pearsall. He was also in Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock's psycho. So he's good at playing nuts. Actually, he was, um, I don't know what he could be diagnosed as, maybe bipolar or whatever. There's words for it now. There wasn't then. Um, but see, my mother died uh, June 3rd of 2017. Jimmy Pearsall died June 3rd, 2017. So that's a little trivia too. What a coincidence. And now he used to play at the... Uh was it called Mermo Fields, which was in Orangeburg, and it was known as a dump actually, where the weather was extremely humid, the ballpark was huge, the playing surface was typically in terrible condition, and the stands were mostly empty. Um, while Randy was highly regarded there, he did slump in his last season, and he batted 250 in 116 games and showed very little that was um, to become a legitimate, a legitimate major league prospect, and then. Uh, you know, he was a starter in Sarasota, but in Orangeburg, he found himself either on the bench or spelling others at catcher or at first. Well, you've done your homework. You know more about it than I do. Um, it's just uh, 
baseball's loss was wrestling's gain. Just look at the heart of this man. You know, the heartbreak of not making your dream to be in the major leagues. And what does he do? Does he become an alcoholic? Does he go turn to drugs? No, he turned to wrestling and became arguably the greatest of them all. He took all. that passion and he took that hard work ethic and he put it into wrestling. And thank God he did. Look what we got out of it. That's right. And in my opinion, he took wrestling as his 100% of his whole life. And then um, some people who work in the office um, who took wrestling as just a hobby, you know, are the ones to judge him. You know, he had a little bit of headwind coming in because some people thought he was too small to wrestle Hulk Hogan. And uh, according to the box office receipts, no, he wasn't too small to wrestle Hulk Hogan. But see, no matter how great you are, people can just knock you. Now, um, I would like to point out Rey Mysterio Jr., who, if he was seated in the chair that I'm in, his feet wouldn't touch the floor. But can you say he wasn't one of the greatest of them all? One of the greatest of all time. He inspired a whole generation of kids growing up watching him, especially the young ones. Amazing. Um, I want to I bring up one last thing before we change focus. And this is one of the most heartwarming parts of Randy's journey in baseball. Now, this is just before he, he left baseball for good, before he was let go. And he had one of his childhood friends. Um, you're going to have to help me with his name. His last name was Guarna uh, Was it Guarnaccia? Guarna John Guarnaccia. John Guarnaccia. Jar John Guarnaccia. Now, he was a friend of yours while growing up. Am I right? One of my favorite people in the world. And he was, now Randy was playing catcher, okay? And uh, Guarnaccia, he got to the plate and he, uh, Randy was whispering to him, I'm going to tell you what the pitches are before they come. And that was just loyalty to a friend, nothing more, he said. And uh, I thought that was, that was fun to hear. Yes, it's a little bit illegal. That's yeah, definitely um, illegal. I mean, it wasn't happening in the major leagues, but... But you see, the thing is, Randy, uh, if Randy likes you, he doesn't care about anything but, uh, you know, give you a nice uh, mediocre cheese ball to hit a home run with. And uh, John Granacci played eight years. He made it all the way to AAA, which is further than Randy got. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I know how much money he made, but... He didn't give me permission to say it here, so I'm not going to. And um, I'm telling you, he was a fantastic person. And uh, he now owns and operates a restaurant uh, I, in the Chicago area called Spatino's. So if you're in Chicago, look up, look up Spatino's. You get the finest pizza in the world. Well, there you go. Check that out. Now, unfortunately, that season ended in nightmare for Randy. Um, he separated his right shoulder and tore the muscles after colliding with the catcher at full force on a close play at home plate. And at the season's end, the Cardinals single A team, they released him. Now that was super hard for Randy. He didn't take it well because maybe he was seeing the end of the road. So he moved back to Illinois. He went back to Sarasota to be around the ball players and he began pestering scouts to give him another chance. But nobody really wanted to give him that chance. You know, they were cutting players because teams were being cut back, and then there was this energy crisis. But, you know, he wasn't dejected. He attended a Cincinnati Reds tryout camp in Lowry Park in Tampa, 
and the area scout supervisor by the name of George Zerwa of Inglewood invited him to spring training before the 1974 season. Now he went to Tampa without a contract when the Florida State League decided to employ the designated hitter rule. That was the break that he needed. Uh, that way he could use his bat, but he didn't have to play in the outfield. Um, that was his last chance. And with that vacant spot on their Class A team, the Cincinnati Reds signed Randy, and they put him on the Tampa Tarpons. Now, while on the Tarpons, he was able to swing the bat there. He didn't have to play outfield or defense, and he was the kind of hitter that was very aggressive, and it was perfect for him in that role. Now, Pete Rose, who many wrestling fans may know due to uh, a spot he had with Kane at WrestleMania, uh, Pete Rose said he was a super athlete. Randy was very limber, flexible, and it did not surprise him that he was a pretty good baseball player. Now, he was a teammate of Randy's in 1974 during spring training. He delivered at the plate, but he only batted that season 232 in 131 games, and he finished third in the Florida State League with nine home runs, just behind Hall of Famer Eddie Murray and Major Leaguer Gary Ronicky with the team-high 66 RBIs. So despite having a low average, he actually did quite well. However, uh, the Tarpons general manager, Mike Moore, said that he didn't have the talent to go any further. Now, Randy knew this, and so what he would do was he would get to the stadium at 1 in the afternoon, and this is well before the other players got there. You can see a trend here. He would always show up early. And while he was alone with the bucket of balls, he was standing in the center of the field throwing them one by one to home plate with his left hand. Now, he was a righty, and um, the manager at the time, Mike Moore, said, Randy, what are you doing? And he looked to Mike Moore and said, I'm trying to make myself more valuable. And that was just the type of guy that he was. Now, throwing with his offhand was something Randy first started doing in high school when he practiced, but he was doing it again to increase his value. Not long later, it was that season where Randy earned the nickname that stuck with him for the rest of his life. On April 29, 1974, midway through a game against the Winter Haven Red Sox, Randy was preparing to bat when Rack Slider, the opposing manager, signaled for the pitching change. Now, Randy at the time was kneeling on the on-deck circle waiting for the inning to begin when he was beamed with the warm-up pitch by the opposing pitcher, and this set off a monstrous brawl. Randy charged the mound and he started fighting the guy, and everyone was wondering what in the world he was doing. Um, of course, he wasn't at the plate. He was just warming up. He got hit. He had every right to stand out for himself, and just by instinct, he went out there and he attacked the pitcher, and he worked him over really good, too. And the next day in the paper, one of the writers got on Randy saying that he was acting like some kind of macho man. Randy liked it, and that actually became part of his name, and fans were putting up banners in the outfield that said, Hit it here, macho man. And he kind of dug that. It was perfect for him. The next year, he signed with the um, Chicago White Sox, but didn't make it past spring training. And that's when he went to join my father and I, who were wrestling for the original Sheik in Ohio and Michigan and Ontario, and he became an instant instant success in wrestling. Yeah. Now he when when he started wrestling. Now, obviously, if you're playing professional sports, 
in your contract, it says you're not to do any type of physical activity that may, it might injure you. Now, your brother, um, on his nights off, or maybe it was in the off-season, he would wrestle as the spider under a mask to kind of hide his identity, but that allowed him to step into the ring and do one, one thing he was passionate about while also playing baseball. That's right. Uh, he, um, he, he broke the rules and uh, wrestled as the spider. He didn't break the law. He broke a rule. Okay, you can't go to jail for it, but you can you know you can lose your contract. But he decided to take that chance. He wrestled for Eddie Graham, and guess who his hero was? Dusty Rhodes and Terry Funk. There you go. And he he also liked Pete Rose. Uh, Pete Rose was very nice to him. He Pete Rose fraternized with the minor leaguers, you know, and uh, some of the uh, Joe Morgan also did, uh, but some of the other Cincinnati Reds were too good to speak to the minor leaguers. Randy enjoyed not being in the Hall of Fame because Pete Rose wasn't in the Hall of Fame, and he thought that was fantastic, that neither one was in the Hall of Fame. And uh, sorry, Randy, I had to do it. I didn't do it for anybody but the fans. You got millions of macho fans. You only got one macho man, and if it wasn't for the macho fans, you wouldn't have been the macho man. And, you know, if you're listening, uh, and evidently, Everybody's listening because this show is a big hit, and I I owe you a big debt of gratitude for that, JP. I appreciate that, and uh, you know all the promotion that you've done and everything. But I'm saying, um, he thought it was fascinating that neither him or Pete Rose was in the Hall of Fame, and he wanted to keep it that way. He was more famous for not being in than for being in. Every year they would say, "Is Macho Man going in the Hall of Fame?" And every year they would get disappointed. And, uh, you know, I guess I killed that gimmick. <laughs> and you can hear all about how you did in the first episode of our show. Um, but it was my mother who decided to name him the Macho Man in wrestling. And, um, you know, so that's like a um, conflicting stories, okay? Um, I don't know how he became the Macho Man. I only know this. If they would have called him... Um, underdog, he still would have got over because with talent like that, you can't lose no matter what they called him. Right, exactly. If it was if it was Nacho Man, you know, just a guy eating nachos. By the way, if you remember, they did use the Nacho Man when they wanted to make fun of how old Randy is in the WWF. Remember? That's right. Yes. And uh, that got over like a fart in a space suit. Randy didn't enjoy that one bit. Yeah, those Larry King segments with Hulk Hogan also being portrayed as old. How did your brother That's think right. of that when he saw and heard about this? Um, he wanted to, he, he, what he told me is, they don't accept my challenge to shoot with me. Shoot means real wrestling or real punching or real everything. You know what I mean? Uh, if he's such a dinosaur, let's see them. Well, now they're, they can say anything they want about him um, because um, he's not there to defend himself. But guess what? I'm here. Set the story straight for us. You know what I mean? That's what this show's all about. Yes. Now, after leaving baseball and, and really making a huge name for himself in wrestling, uh, your brother um, visited the Cincinnati Reds. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. This comes from September 22nd, 1989 news clipping. Okay, this was in the Dayton Daily News. I'm going to read a part of this article and then... I want to hear what it was like from your end. What did your brother tell you about it and, and so on? So 
At the end of this bizarre baseball season for the Cincinnati Reds, it sunk to this, a controversy involving professional wrestling. How apropos. Broadcaster Marty Brenneman called a Thursday afternoon appearance in his booth by the World Wrestling Federation's Randy Macho Man Savage. It was the most excitement that we've had in this stadium for two and a half months. Undoubtedly, he was correct. The Reds lost again, which was their 10th straight and it was an 11-7 loss to the San Diego Padres, who swept the Reds in Riverfront for the first time in their 20-year history. Now, um, I'm going to skip ahead to how majority owner Marge Schott, who ordered Savage to be body-slammed out of the booth, disagreed with Brenneman. She shouldn't have. What her Cincinnati Reds were doing out there was hilarious. So when your brother was in the booth, you had... Um, some of the players flexing their muscles. You had, of course, from the dugout, Eric Davis was out there flexing, and uh, all the four umpires, they gathered near the pitcher's mound to look into the booth, and then everyone started to see your brother was in there. And then the fans turned around, and it caused a bit of a distraction. But it was the most excitement that's been in that stadium for two and a half months, I said. And, of course, you know, the owner, the majority owner, Marge Schott, ordered him out. That's a shame, isn't it? He was a celebrity. That could have been very positive for the Reds organization. What did your brother think about that? Well, I was there that day, not at the stadium, but right next to it is the arena, the Riverfront Arena. I don't know what it's I don't know what it's called now, but it's still there. And um and now they, of course they've demolished the Riverfront Stadium now. And uh, now they have the Great American Ballpark downtown. But okay, after it was over, Randy came up to me and he said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta listen to this. Um, I went out there and, you know, uh, Eric Davis uh, made a muscle and I made a muscle at him, and Marty Brenneman was there and he treated me really nice and everything. And then all the crowd started going macho man, macho man, and uh, and then Mark Shot uh, got some people together to." escort me from the building and the people booed and it was fun and uh, what a great thing you know he was excited it was like one of the greatest moments of his career isn't that something isn't that great that is fantastic I mean of course baseball being one of his loves and Cincinnati being one of his favorite teams and being able to be there talk in the booth and then get kicked out what a strange controversy they should have been hailing him and telling him to come weekly just to boost the ticket sales and such Trust me, Randy liked it. Randy liked it better getting thrown out. You know, he enjoyed it, and uh, the crowd reacted to it. And a actually, um, I contacted um, through a, through some friends of mine in Cincinnati. I contacted Marty Brenneman and um, invited him to be on the WWE DVD, The Macho Man Story. So look it up, and there he, there he is telling his story. They came into Cincinnati that year, and my pal Jonathan Flores said, how would you like to have Randy Savage to come over and sit in the booth with you and Joe Nuxall to interview? I said, that would be sensational, because he was a megastar back then. He created an incredible stir in the ballpark. It was unbelievable. All it took was one person to see him, to look up, and it was, it was like 
dominoes falling. All of a sudden, it spread throughout the ballpark. And the players reacted from the first base dugout, which was the home dugout. Eric Davis, who was one of the stars of the team, walked out from underneath the overhang, and he flexed his muscles and did this and, and looked up at Randy. That was probably the biggest stir of anybody we've ever interviewed in the radio booth. Of course, he stopped short of the whole story, or maybe they found it on the editing room floor. You know, sometimes they talk to you for one hour and just use 10 seconds of it. So that's, that's what happened. And uh, I wasn't there, but I was, I was within, I was in the next building over and uh, I wish I'd have seen it. It was, I think it was good closure for him. I want to take a quick moment to thank Ron Mateko. He's an award-winning writer and filmmaker for Turnbuckle Magazine, which you can find on Twitter and Facebook. He's also the curator of Old Wrestling Picks on Twitter. He's covered Major League Baseball and the NHL for ESPN.com, and he contributed a great deal to the research for this show. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to coincide a release on ProWrestlingStories.com. It's going to be a retrospective of Randy's baseball career. It's going to cover a lot more information than what we did in the show. It's going to include pictures and newspaper clippings that's never been seen for over 40 years. You do not want to miss it. Thanks again to Ron for the help, and I hope you've enjoyed the show thus far. Wow, thank you very much. You know, uh, it, I really appreciate all these people helping with the authenticity of this show because, you know, as you're talking, I'm learning, you know, because let's face it, I didn't live it. I just was the brother, you know, so some of this stuff, you know, I didn't know. Um, but I would like to add one thing. Um, Randy did Twas the Night Before Christmas 13 years in a row um, at both um, in Clearwater, Florida. They have Ruth Eckert Hall and in downtown Tampa, they have the Strauss Center, used to be the center for the performing arts. Uh, but now it's called the Strauss Center. It's whoever, you know, um, whatever philanthropist, you know, sends the most money. So um, gets their name on there. So somebody named Straz gave a lot of money. So it was the night before Christmas went all through the house. Yeah. Not a cre you know, can you imagine how great that was for underprivileged children of the Tampa, of the Florida area? So um, he was very, Randy was very good friends with um, George Steinbrenner. And the family. Now, George Steinbrenner was the owner of um, the New York Yankees. Am I right? Yes. And he, but he lived in, uh, in you know, Tampa Bay area. Sure. So he lived uh, many, many places, but he, you know, he had headquarters here. And um, when Randy passed away, they, they did a tribute to Randy in Yankee Stadium. Um, and it's the, you know, it shows the macho man, uh, we salute the macho man, Randy Savage. That was, I said to my mom, I said, well, he finally made the majors. Something that is not talked about as much as it should was Randy's charity work. In fact, one of the questions I had pegged to be read during the fan questions of the week was by Ian Roberts. I'm going to read it to you now. He says, love in the show. With the macho man's charity work, which he gave a lot of time to, like the one he just described, do you feel this is one of his most underrated legacies? And I don't think it's something that's given enough credit or talked about much, sadly. Just like I said in my Hall of Fame speech, Randy had no biological children of his own. So, you know, he, him and Elizabeth had no children together. Um, 
when he married Lynn, um, they, she had two children from a previous marriage, and he was a very good father to um, Lynn's children and a very good uncle to my daughter. But it was his involvement with Sue Acheson. Do you know who that is? I don't. Sue Acheson works for WWE and has worked, I mean, for decade after decade. You know how long it's been since I've been out of the picture. She's still there. In 2015, when I did the Hall of Fame speech, she was there. And I wish I would have mentioned that. But she came up to me afterwards. Oh, tears in her eyes. And, you know, we had a big hug and it was a beautiful thing. But Sue Acheson was the one who works for the WWE that got Randy involved in Special Olympics and always made sure that the music was there, always made sure that everything was there. And then they had, I'm telling you, a mountain of free merchandise from the WWE every single time. So you've got to take your hand off, your hat off to the WWE T-shirts and posters and Whatever they were selling, Randy was giving away. And uh, you should see those kids go crazy. You know, who wouldn't want to have a personally autographed souvenir from the Macho Man? Right. He was changing these lives, man, providing lifelong memories for these kids. Amazing. It was uh, one of my greatest memories of Randy. And, you know, something, uh, I'm still with the Special Olympics all the way. Because, you know, that's my... Um, I'm doing it for the Special Olympics. I'm also doing it for Randy. That's really wonderful. It's a great way to keep your brother's legacy alive, and you're doing a great thing you should be really proud of. Now, people who were around your brother when he was doing these charity events, they were known to say it was one of the few times they saw Randy being himself and let his hair down. Yeah, they, he let his hair down. Um, what, what he would do, one time they didn't have the music or it didn't play well or something, you know. He... Where's the music? And they said, well, that's okay. You know, it's the, no, you got to put the music on. You know what I mean? He wanted everything to go just right for the Special Olympics. Well, you think they don't deserve the full show business? You know what I mean? And, uh, whoa. you know, and I'll tell you what, I was there. You know, I used to introduce him, read my poem. It's called the Special Olympics. And there's something about that name. It's taking people off the bench and putting them back in the game. No one should ever be denied the chance to grab the center stage or share an honest open smile with other boys and girls their age. For personal satisfaction or just having a little fun, the spirit of competition is the birthright of everyone. It's a very special moment when they pass the torch and run. In the words of Charles Dickens, God bless us, everyone. That's fantastic. I love how these are fully embedded in your memory, in your heart. And it's wonderful that you share these with us and our listeners. It was Randy's favorite poem. And then I would say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if you are quite ready, I present to you the Macho Man, Randy Savage. The kids would go crazy. I only wish we had video. That warms my heart. Well, I think we all could create a really wonderful image in our heads when you tell that. And you got to give credit to WWE. They, they would, every time... A mountain of merchandise. Trust me, I was there. Freak out! It's the Macho Man Clip of the Week. Oh, yeah! You young punks today got nothing.
nothing on the macho man Randy Savage and my generation, yeah, and all the legends, yeah, because I'm telling you, that's complete mental insanity, yeah. Let the WWE All-Star Video Game begin, yeah. The best of the best, and to hell with the rest, yeah. Pick the Macho Man Randy Savage if you will, yeah. And I guarantee you will be victorious forever in a day, yeah, you will. Because I am the world's greatest wrestling superstar legend of all time, of all time, of all time, oh yeah. Catch me if you can, WWE All-Star Video Game, because you ain't seen nothing yet. Because I am the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey. Space is the place, sky's the limit, yeah, that's the deal. Greatest matchups of all time haven't happened yet, no they haven't, until now. And it's up to the WWE Universe to take control of a volatile situation. And you guys decide who's the baddest generation of all time, yeah! Two generations, one ring, yeah. Hit up the WWEAllStars.com right now. You take control, everybody say, oh yeah! Thank you to Kevin for sending this clip in, and he asks, does Lanny have anything to say, or did he hear from Randy about his WWE All-Star video game promo that he did for WWE? I think it's the first time that Randy did anything for WWE in about 15 plus years, and I've always been very fascinated by this. I had a lot to do with it. You know what I did? What'd you do? He says, yeah, some people are coming over to uh, video me for that uh for that thing, that game, okay? You know, that whatever he said. and um, Yeah, it was the WWE All-Star video game. Yes. And he says, I've got people coming over. What I need you to do is go out with them, entertain them until I call you that they can come over because I don't need anybody watching me do this. So, you know, that was, uh, I cleared the field for him because the camera people came to his home to shoot that. And... Um, I had to make sure that the company he had was um, not there during the shoot. Now, was there any opportunities or did WWE reach out to Randy before this to be involved? Or was it pretty much, uh, you know, silence on both parts? I don't know and I don't remember. Uh, let's say probably not. Now, did this open the door for Randy to be more involved with WWE afterwards? Because it seems when a lot of wrestlers like Sting, when he came back, for the uh, EA2K release, um, he was then put in the Hall of Fame and then, of course, had the run with WWE. Were there thoughts of him, uh, you know, joining up with WWE again, rather, you know, whether it be on an on-screen role or what have you? No, the next time I heard from them was for me to induct Randy into the Hall of Fame in Miami, which, like I said in episode one, uh, that wasn't Randy's wishes, so I waited till 2014 to inf to inform um, the uh, powers that be that uh, I was going to um, go against Randy's wishes and put him in the Hall of Fame. And I hope um, the widow of Owen Hart is listening. Um, the fans deserve it, and without the fans, there is nothing. So... I say, please put Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame. I hope she has a change of heart. 
There was no pun intended there, by the way. Um, has WWE 2K Games ever reached out to you to have your likeness in a game? I, um, I'm waiting by the phone. I haven't heard anything yet. All right, Genius Cast Faithful, let's change that. If you'd like to see Leaping Lanny or the Genius in a future WWE 2K game, make your voices heard on social media. Well, make that the genius. Leaping Lenny sucks. Well, I'd like to see some Frisbees thrown into the crowd, to be honest with you. In fact, they should have you have, uh, you know, two outfits. You can go in as Leaping Lanny or you can go in as the genius. I think both would be fantastic. I tell you what, I think uh, I'm in the rest WWE encyclopedia as both Leaping Lanny and the genius. I think that's pretty good that I was able to get to the WWE as both. Now, speaking of the uh, Frisbees, in our last show, I had asked for listeners to send us a picture of a Frisbee if they so happen to have, uh, to have gotten one from the crowd. And one of our listeners, uh, Ryan Lovelady, he sent us a picture. It has a poem on the back that was emblazed on it, like you said, and you signed it. Um, fantastic. I, thank you for sending that in. We're going to share that on social media. And I think that's incredibly cool. Yes, I think it is great. Uh, you know, I don't have any. And um, actually, it's too soon to pop champagne, but Frisbees may be coming back. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Let's do it. And we can use this show to discuss and promote, perhaps. Yeah, but don't tell anybody. Well, that's our secret and everyone else listening. Um, let's get into the fan questions of the week, okay? Uh, we have... A question from Braden Farrell out of Adelaide, Australia. He asks, you mentioned on the first episode of the Genius Cast how you were on Sean Mooney's podcast. Sid, Sid Vicious, was also on Sean's podcast recently and mentioned how he broke his, or I was about to say how he broke his leg. We all know how that went. How he broke into the business was through meeting you and your brother amongst other wrestlers at a gym in Memphis. What was your first impressions of Sid? Was he as intense as he comes off in interviews and on TV? Well, I can tell you that I remember meeting him um, at the Mid-South Mid Coliseum in Memphis. I went out to get some fresh air, and I see this enormous fellow. Uh, and he comes up to me and says, uh, Lanny Poffo, I'm a big fan of yours. Do you think uh, I can get into wrestling? And I said, I absolutely think you can get into wrestling. Yes, sir. He says, well, how do I do it? I said, go home and get a tight T-shirt and stand right here by the door and wait for Jerry Jarrett or Jerry Lawler to come by and tell them you want to be a wrestler. And they will look at you and see the same thing I'm looking at. Money. You look like money. Um, you've got all the visuals. Uh, that'll get your foot in the door. And if you make it after that, that's up to you. But you definitely look like somebody that they want to be a wrestler. And I guess uh, he appreciated the fact that I encouraged him. But come on, that guy looked fantastic. You know, and, uh, you know, that was a money face, a money body, and everything about him was money. He looked like money to me. I loved him when I was younger. My God, he gave me nightmares as well. <laughs> you know, I'm glad he came up to you because he did provide some good memories as a fan growing up. Right, and he was uh, quite an athlete, quite a baseball and softball player. Yeah, we all know about his softball playing, how uh, he would like to play as much as possible. In fact, softball took precedence over wrestling at some times in his career. Well, it never. Uh, Randy never put wrestling over baseball, and then he never put baseball over wrestling. 
he focused on what he was doing at the time. It's a good lesson to learn. Do one thing at a time. Moving on to a question from a Redditor by the name of Dream X Villain. They ask, who is your favorite wrestler out of the current WWE roster? I haven't been watching. I'm sorry. Um, only been watching Ring of Honor and New Japan because um, they're utilizing me. Okay. So um, I have to say that I figured it out. If I'm going to be 64 years old, in 10 years, I'll be 74. In 20 years, I'll be 84. In 30 years, I'll be 94 and on and on. I don't want to waste a whole lot of time watching wrestling. If they don't love me, I don't love them. Fair enough. Now, when, of course, when you weren't even involved with Ring of Honor before that, uh, how long would you go without watching? Now, would you keep up with what was happening at all or just no interest? Um, I didn't even know uh, who those guys were. You know, I just uh, I just went there and uh, and since then I've learned uh, since then I've become their fans, really, you know, because how can you look at Matt and Nick Jackson and not become fans? Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, um, the guy that said uh, book me, um, the flash uh, flip Gordon, what are, I'm telling you that 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 kid is going to be fantastic. And um, there, everybody. Everybody gives and gives and gives in that organization. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have competition. I don't believe in monopolies. I agree. Now, Flip Gordon's also the same person who was saying uh, that the world is flat, that the earth is flat. So hopefully that was just a gimmick. It's pulling our legs. Well, I guarantee you the genius knows the world is round. You heard it here, folks. Flat earthers, get lost. It wasn't... Uh, it was Galileo that decided that Copernicus was right. It was Copernicus that decided it was round. And Galileo proved it by inventing the telescope. History lesson for all our listeners. Um, moving on to the next question. This one comes from Sibilance from Reddit, who asks, I bought your poetry book online a few years back. And by the way, for those who want to buy them, fantastic. Go to GeniusLannyPafo.com where you can find his books. And he was surprised to see that it was actually autographed by yourself and your brother. Is that legitimate? Did the madness come over one day and sign books with you? The madness came over one day and said, you know, I bet you'd sell better if I autographed it too. And what a nice thing, huh? Absolutely. I mean, if I got a book um, expecting, obviously I wouldn't be expecting an autograph, and it, but, it, but to have an autograph by you and your brother, fantastic. Well, unfortunately, there aren't any more, but uh, she's got one of them, so um, that's all there's going to be. But if they do order it from GeniusLandyPafo.com, you will personally sign those books. Am I right? I certainly will. Fantastic. So there you go. Check out the website, and you can get a copy of those books there. Um, Dark Choco Lover on Twitter asks, What are your impressions about the famous match between the Pafos and the Rock and Roll Express with the unforgettable pile driver through the table in 84 in Memphis? Wow. I'll tell you what. Those um, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, two of the all-time greats. Let's say no more about that. Um, I was proud to be in that match. I'm glad the fans remember it. I'm glad it's on YouTube. And I was very proud when both of them got into the WWE Hall of Fame. And uh, I really love those guys. Those are very important 
people in the wrestling business. Now, how does one prepare for a pile driver through a table spot? Okay, it's very easy. All you do is grab the tag team rope and watch in amazement as my brother takes Ricky Morton and puts him through the table. No, but I'm talking about just pull back the curtain a little bit because obviously there's a lot of amazing spots we see on television and through the past. Um, when preparing for matches like this, do you guys actually practice a spot like that or do you just go out there and do it? No, this is raising the bar to a new level. They take a chance. That's what they do. They take a chance. It's a calculated risk. Um, but my brother did not hurt Ricky Morton and Randy didn't hurt himself. Randy never hurt anyone. He uh, he was that good, and Ricky Morton trusted him. So, you know, they just did it. They did it well, and uh, it's a calculated risk. You don't see the pile driver much these days. I'm glad because if you do one thing wrong, well, look, Owen Hart broke the neck of uh, Stone Cold. You don't get do-overs with your cervical vertebrae. In a tragic irony, and what some people don't really know, is that five years before that Austin-Owen match, which seriously injured Austin's neck, Austin was in a match with Masahiro Chono, and Austin put on the same inverted pile driver that Owen put on him, and Austin injured Masahiro's neck. And, you know, it's a bit tragic and ironic. I've got this story up on ProWrestlingStories.com, so all you got to do is look up the botch that almost left Steve Austin with the broken neck, and you can read all about it there. It's not a safe move, and perhaps it's best that we keep that one behind us. Adidas Fiend on Reddit asks, from what you've seen recently, how would you compare the locker rooms and wrestling interactions with each other now versus your heyday in the WWF? Well, I think when I was a Ring of Honor, it was a lot more fun because there wasn't any ribbing going on. Everybody was just being a good citizen and just enjoying each other's company. Where sometimes in the WWE locker room, they had a few troublemakers that try to rib and you know play practical jokes on each other so i definitely am happier now i would like to dedicate a whole show to ribs and wrestling at some point if you're okay with that i mean that's something i've always been interested in uh we've got an article on prowrestlingstories.com entitled ribs and wrestling and it just goes into i think we've got over 20 stories in that piece alone and there's many other uh stories on the site about it oh my god the the, the british bulldogs you know, Roddy Piper, um, Mr. Fuji, Mr. Perfect, X-Pac, you name it. My God, there was a lot of ribbon going on. I can't wait to hear some stories that you experienced or uh, are aware of. Okay, we can do that. Yes. Awesome. Now, the last question comes from Chiefian Aksatol on Reddit, who asks, With you and your brother giving Lethal the blessing to do the machismo gimmick and given the extreme popularity of the new Spider-Man game, what would you say about Lethal busting out Macho Man's character from the first Spider-Man movie, Bonesaw? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I, if you watch, the, um, the, the Young Bucks have a video out, and it's called um, Being the Elite. And actually, Jay Lethal did do a scene from that movie, uh, Spider-Man. And uh, he, he, he's brilliant. He knows all the lines. He knows everything. And some of the, some of the high spots that uh, with Ricky Steamboat uh, were duplicated with um, Flip Gordon. So this guy is a stickler for details. And I'm going to tell you what I have a lot of people to be thankful for. Um, Mark Brown is the first one because he's the one I sat next to on the plane. 
you know, Southwest Airlines going from Tampa to um, New Orleans for WrestleCon. And of, um, I'm telling you, he's the guy that opened the door for Ring of Honor for me. And everybody else uh, just followed suit. And I cannot express how nice everyone was to, you know, make me feel at home and utilize me. And, you know, it makes me very happy. It makes me feel so young. It makes me feel as though spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy individual. <laughs> I love that busting into song here on the Genius Cast. And with that, that ends our Genius Cast of the week. Do you have any anything coming up, any appearances down the line that you'd like to plug? I have a lot of appearances coming up, but I don't want to talk about it right now because I don't want to open up champagne and have to put it back. So when we do know something for a fact, you'll hear it here where you can see Lanny, where you can get a chance to meet him and where Randy's Hall of Fame ring, which you bring with you on all your appearances. That's right. And uh, September 16th, I will be in Detroit. September 22nd, I will be in Rome, Georgia. And September 29th and 30th, I'll be in Winnipeg for a guy named Jason Ganya who is a very dear friend of Kenny Omega. October 13th and 14th, Hamilton, Ontario. October 19th, I'll be in Tampa bowling for charity. And, uh, you know, that's all I can say right now. But uh, keep tuning in, then you might learn something. That's right. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in, for making us one of the best wrestling podcasts on the net. We were told last week, one of our listeners said, you were like the people's podcast because you get everyone so involved, all the listeners involved. I think that's fantastic. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. And I look forward to doing this again with you next week, every Monday. Let's do it again. Let's do it. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. I just want to say, not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where Lanny's got his Brothers from Another Mother t-shirt for sale. You've seen it on All In, now you can wear it in front of your wrestling friends. You've got Lanny Poffo on one side and you've got Black Machismo J Lethal on the other. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Find Lanny every Monday on Reddit where he'll be taking your questions and you get a chance to communicate with the genius himself. We had a lot of fun this week, and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. 
That's it for now. So long and goodbye. Listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find us on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on our show each week, send us an email at thegeniuscast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.